Listen, uh, this, is, this is week seven of a little series we've done called Signs of Life. So if you're here for the very first time today, I'm just letting you know, you're here on the tail end of what probably has been, real, well, it's been very encouraging for me. I love these kind of series. And so all the, all the previous messages, they're on our website, thegatheringnow.com. You can find them there. Let me tell you why I love a series like Signs of Life, okay? Check this out. Look at me. I guarantee what I'm going to say is true about your life as well. Have you noticed that there is no shortage of people in our lives that will tell us what we aren't? Have you noticed this? Like, you don't have to look for them. Like, we're just, you just, like, walk in somebody and somebody just walk up and go, you're ugly. I mean, like, there's just, they're so willing to tell you all the things that you aren't. And so a series like this, and then take, take just people out of it. Let's talk spiritually. What does John 10.10 10 tell us? We have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us, and he doesn't usually come at us with, like, a gun or a javelin or whatever, or a spear, javelin, that's not an object of fear. Anyway, he comes at us in our mind. He comes at us through people's words. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. We have people around us who are willing to tell us what we aren't. And so a series like this for seven weeks talking about what we are because we've been brought from death to life. Man, I love these kind of series. And I want to remind you again, it's not a checklist, right? We've said this so many times. You're going to roll your eyes when I say it again, but I'm going to. These are not things we have to do in order to be saved, right? There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. These are, these are like fruit that grows on the tree of a believer's life, okay? And the reason why I want to really hammer that home is because today's sign, the last sign we're going to talk about, if there was ever a week in this series when you would be tempted to think, well, I better do something so I can be saved. It's going to be today. Okay, because the last sign that we're going to talk about is the good works that we do. A sign of life in a believer is the, are the good works that we do. Um, turn, if you've got your Bible, if you've got an app, to Titus. Um, it comes after the Timothy and Thessalonian books. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. That's going to be our key verse today. And while you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of context. In Titus chapter 2, um, Paul's writing, he's, and he's saying these kind of things. He's like, look, you've been saved, and because you've been saved, and I think we, we need to have older men that are teaching younger men. We need to have older women that are teaching younger women. He starts to talk about things that we used to do, but now we don't do. The point here is he's talking about salvation. And he's talking about things that happen in our lives as a result of, of salvation. And, and then we get to our verses. I'm going to start in, in verse 11, and then you'll see verse 14 up on the screen. And here's what he writes. Verse 11, for the grace of God, it's the grace of God. It's, again, nothing that you and I can earn. It's something that is given to us. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This is not about I've been saved so that I can just hold on until I get to heaven. He saved us so that we can live a life that's different so that it will be a sign of life to those in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's verse 14. You should see this up on the screens. Who gave himself, Jesus, gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Here's the phrase I want you to remember, eager to do what is good. Now that word eager, the Greek is, it means to be zealous. Paul's talking about salvation here. He's talking about um, things that we will be like after we're saved. We will be eager to do what is good. Now listen, we live in a culture that's all about, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, brother. Right? If we just do good, we'll be saved. And we would never say that we believe that. But most of us, even in the church, our lives will betray us that our real belief is this. Well, maybe if I just do more good than I do bad. Right? If I could just balance the scales, get them in my favor, then I'll be saved. No. There is nothing you and I can do that will save us. Good works, the good works that we do point to the work that he has already done. They are a sign of life, not something we check off to say, hey, God, look, I did all, a lot of good, so let me in. No, he says, I've saved you, and because I've saved you, Paul said this, because I've saved you, you're going to start to say no to some things and yes to some things. You're going to begin to live a life as eager to do what is good. So this is a struggle that a lot of people have. There was a man in the history of the church, his name was Martin Luther. And Martin Luther came along at a time when the bulk, when people said the word church, it meant Catholic church, okay? And so in Catholicism at that time, they were beginning to do things like sell these little things called indulgences. And you would purchase these, and it would help you be saved. You would pray and try to live a right life, and if you live the right kind of life, if you confessed enough and all that, then you could be saved. The whole emphasis was on you got to work hard to get in. And God raised up Martin Luther to start this little thing called the Reformation, where he basically reclaimed the entire church through Martin Luther and brought him back, brought the church back to a place where Luther said, look, we're saved by, by grace alone. Faith in Jesus alone works do not save you. I mean, he raised up a man to get the attention of the entire church and say, hold up, we're going the wrong way, we need to come back. Martin Luther was so all in on that that he struggled with the book of James because if you read the book of James, you'll see it talks a lot about faith without works is dead. But here's what Martin Luther said. Even Martin Luther, if he could come here today, amazing preacher that he might have been, and stand in his pulpit, he would tell you that good works are a sign of life because his quote is this, good works are faith incarnate. Meaning this, you can talk about it all day long. You can say that you have faith all day long. But when you begin to do good works, that's what gives life to the faith that you profess. That's what's evidence to people around you. Good works that you do are faith incarnate. So this morning, my job is to be clear and not clever. Because I know it's so easy for us to misinterpret and just to walk out going, wait a second, so apostles have to do certain things. No. Because we've been saved, because we've trusted in the work that Jesus did, this is evidence that we'll see in our lives. I want to answer a few questions about what it means to do good. And then we'll wrap it up at the end with a video that will tie it all together. So here's question number one. Let's channel our inner two-year-old. Everybody say why. Say it again. Say it again. That's pretty much what a two-year-old does, right? 
Why should we do good? Let's just start right there. That's foundational. Why should we do good? And the biggest reason why we should do good is because we were made to do good. Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created in Christ to do good works. Now, theologians in the house, you're looking at me going, yeah, I get it, but that's in Christ. Okay. Let's, let's go all the way back to Genesis, right? Before sin ever entered the world and God created this world, and what did he say at the end of every day? It is good. We were created to do good. Now, admittedly, we jacked that up. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I didn't do nothing. I was just kicked back drinking sweet tea watching TV. Adam and Eve screwed the whole thing up. I know, but what the Bible teaches is that if you'd have been Adam and Eve, you would have too. And so would I. So we messed it all up in the garden. But what we did was we broke the image that God had created us in. His image. He's a good father. He created us to do good. Now what what Ephesians 2.10 is saying is this. In Christ, we now are able to be completely transformed back to what he intended, which was that we would do good. Just do good. It's not just for believers. There's a reason why even your friends who don't love Jesus, when they get involved in something that's good, they feel better. It's because they start to touch on the way that God created them. We were made to do good. Matthew 5.16 gives two more reasons why we should do good. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others. That's good. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Two more reasons that we should do good. Because they can be seen by men and God will be praised. We don't do good so others see us and praise us. We need to become praise deflectors, right? Like I love, if I was a professional athlete, man, I wish I was a professional athlete, right? I would spend so much time trying to figure out what I was going to do as my motion every time I scored a touchdown or made a shot, right? Like, you know, whatever. It's like, I, I love this one right here. Like, I'm not, I don't, what, who are you pointing at? <laughs> I think, but that's, a, that's in their way, that's a praise deflector, right? Like, I did good, and I'm just giving a praise to God. Now, if they want to be truly biblical in their wide receiver, every time they drop a pass, they should also get up and be like, everything we do, good or bad, that's like, we're pointing to Jesus, right? We need to be praised, we need to be more like professional athletes. I've bruised my chest even doing that illustration, Right? We need to be like praise deflectors when people see us do good and they go, man, why are you doing that? Well, I'm good. No, it's got to be because I was made to do good. I have a creator who made me to do good. Give him the praise. The works we do point to the work he did. Here's your big idea, six words. Big idea means I hope you remember this. If you forget everything else I say, please remember this, and this is it. Our good points to God's grace. Our good points to God's grace. When we do good, and people say, why would you do that? The only answer as a believer has got to be because the grace of God, we just read about it in Titus, has taught me to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to a life that is eager to do good.
All the glory to him. Enough pounding my chest. Second question, where should we do good? If we know why we should do good, where should we do good? Matthew 5, 16 is very, very clear. It says, in the same way, let your light shine where? Oh, come on. That was a no-brainer. Where? Before men. So here's the answer to the question. Where should we do good? Anywhere there are people. We'll move on to point three. I know you want me to drag it out and like really pound the pulpit on that one, but why make it longer when Scripture's clear, right? Where do we do good? Anywhere there are people. Number three, who do we do good for? I mean, I know what y'all are thinking. You're like, man, he zipped through point two. Like if he could do that for the next, that wow. It's not going to happen. That was my shortest one. Who do we do good for? And by who, I don't mean, like I just said, we do, we do good works anywhere there are people. So people's generic, right? It's like people. But who among those people do we do good for? Do we get to pick and choose? Well, I'm going to do good for the people that I like. And God can call somebody else to do good for the people that I don't. Do we do, we do good for Republicans, Democrats, Independents? Do we do good for Americans, people in other countries? Do we do good for ISIS? Do we do good for refugees? How do we know who to do good for? So let's, let's, let, let's let Scripture answer this one, okay? And I think as we see Scripture answer it, what you're going to find is that there's this ripple effect. You ever throw stones in water and like, bloop, and it just ripples out and out and out and out and out? That's what you're going to see right here. So let me give you three Scriptures. Colossians 3, verse 22. Now this is a tricky verse in our context because we don't have slavery. Thank the Lord, right? But in this context, Paul's writing in a setting where there was slavery, and he's instructing slaves on how they should live their lives because they've come to know Jesus. If it helps you, you can just, where this says slaves, you can put the word employee, and where it says masters, you can put employer, okay, if that helps you at all. I'm not indicating that your job is like slavery. I'm just saying it might help you apply this. And here's what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, here's the part that makes us cringe, especially, hey, listen, um, preteens and teenagers in the house, I'm going to tell you right now how to make a ton of money in your life. You ready? I got your attention. Be the employee that we're going to read about. Ready? Here it goes. He says, don't just do good when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. If you will do good when no one's watching because you're doing good for an audience of one and you take that to your work, your job, if you just take it to school, you will find people, I, mean, I want to hire you. I want to keep you. Listen, parents, adults, it's not too late for you either, right? You can do that as we're at work as well. You'll become the best employee. And it won't even matter. Do you know why? Because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for an audience of one. Who do we do good for? God first. We serve the Lord and we do good for him. Galatians 6.10, that ripple effect is going to grow. Paul says this, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. We'll get to that part in a second. But he says this, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
especially here. So we do good for God. Before God, we, we live good lives, even when no one's watching because we're serving our master. And then we turn and we do good to his family. And then we do good for everyone else. That can sound a little bit selfish, but doesn't Jesus say something along the lines of, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And if I could just add to that, what would it profit a father to take care of every child in the world and lose his own? And so if I was to feed every child in the world and neglect my own children, I might feel good about what I do, but at some point, all those kids, if they get to know me, they're going to be like, why is he doing that? I mean, what kind of father is that? We do good before God, we do good with his family, and then we do good for everyone else. When do we do good for everyone else? Paul was clear, as we have opportunity. And why is that progression so important? Here's why. (laughs) Just real life, okay? You're going to do good for people that don't see it, that don't appreciate it, or love it and never want you to stop. You know those people? I loved it when you came over and gave me money. Could you do that again, please? (laughs) Right? And if we are doing good only for people, people are going to drain us. You're going to find yourself like, oh, God, I can't do it anymore. Because we've got to learn to look past the people and see the king. This is who we're serving And he's put me in their place to help serve them. But when we're looking at people for the vindication and validation of what we're doing, we're not going to get it. I mean, every now and then they'll be like, you're awesome. But more often than not, you're going to do good things for people and they're not even going to thank you. But your father does. He sees it. Who do we do good for? We do good for our father and then for his kids and then for everybody else. How do we do good? Two more. How do we do good? Uh, These are a little tough. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. That if we don't give up part. How do we do good? We do good faithfully. We're faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3, 13 these are, listen, these are hard verses to hear if you're tired. I get it. It's, it's morning. You, you might not have had enough coffee, so just bear with me, okay? I didn't write it. God did. Just listen. Second Thessalonians 3.13 says this, And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Never tire of it. So what, what is that? How do we do good? Well, we do it faithfully, and we do it continually. We never tire of doing good. We never say, time out, not now. We continually do good. Never tire of it. And this Psalm 37.3 says this, trust in the Lord and do good. So how do you trust in the Lord and do good? You do good wholeheartedly because you have put your whole heart of trust in God. And because you're trusting God to take care of you, you can give yourself fully to doing good for others. And I will say this, listen, I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus, that's tough. 
it's hard to really, okay, God, if I give myself wholeheartedly to do good for these people in this situation, who's taking, who's got my back? I do. No, but really. Me. I mean, seriously. It's hard. It's hard. But you'll never do good if you don't first trust in the Lord. So practically, because we do get tired, right? I mean, am I the only one? Y'all are so quiet. Are you asleep? Okay. We, do get, we, get, we do get tired, right? We grow weary. Like I just read those verses and all of us are like, crud. Like, what do I do with that, right? Never stop doing good. Like never get a day off. What? So let's just be practical. How are some ways that you can serve and do good that won't necessarily tire you out? This might be the most practical thing I've ever said to you. I hope you write it down. Do good in areas and ways that excite you. Examples. I'm not a yard work guy. I learned that Joe is a yard Joe likes to work in the yard. So for Joe, he's out, I don't know if it's a rider or a push, but whatever it is, he's out mowing the grass, and he sees that his neighbor's grass has not been mowed, well, like my grass, right? And actually, I'm kidding, because Parkin will do a great job with our yard work, but if I was in charge, like anyway, so if Joe's neighbor hadn't mowed his yard in a while, because Joe loves to do yard work, you know what Joe's going to think about doing? Zipping that thing over and mowing his neighbor's yard. Zipping it back and putting it up. Doesn't even need his neighbor to say thank you. It didn't even wear him out. You know why? He loves that stuff. Some of you love to talk. I mean, I, every Sunday when I try to do announcements, I'm like, yep, they love to talk, right? I mean, they just, I mean it's natural for you guys. I, it's, I'm, I'm better at it now than I used to, but, like, I'm just, you know, some of you are like extroverts out the roof. You know how you can do good in a way that will excite you? Start a conversation with somebody in the grocery store line. Now, introverts in the house, I mean, my stomach just went to my shoes thinking about that, right? But the extroverts are like, he ain't even done preaching. Let's go grocery shopping, right? They're like, let's go right now. Find things that you like to do, and while you're doing those things, do good. You'll find that it doesn't take much more energy. Some of you love to work on cars, and you have friends that don't know how to work on cars. You might be, you might be living near a single parent, and you, you love to work on cars, and they're paying $28 every, well, I know when they're supposed to pay it, but every so often to get their oil changed, you could save them some money. You're already up under the car. You're under your car fix, breaking things so you have more stuff to fix. You love it that much. Slide up under their car and change their oil. You'll do good, and you'll be energized by it because it's something you already love to do. The point is, how do we do good? We just look for good that we can do along the way we're already going. It's not another program to start at church. God, we don't need more of those. It's just the church being the church. There is power in doing good. So let me just share with you, as we wrap this up, a few things that happen when we do good. There's four verses. You want to jot these down. What happens when we do good? Matthew 5, 16, we've read this a few times already, shows us that when we do good, God gets glory. 
says that men will see what you do, and they will give praise to God. Galatians 6, 9. It says if we don't give up at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Man, at the end of doing good is a harvest of promises that he gives us. Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. That word for dwell, <laughs> this is like for all the, all the people that aren't married, okay? That word dwell is in, in Hebrew. Let me make sure I say this right. It's shakan, which means settle down. Do you know people that have not settled down? Movies like Failure to Launch come to mind, right? Um, they just can't commit. They're just like, I'm not, I can't settle. I just I can't settle down. You know when you settle down, when you're confident in who you are and you're able to do good. Bible says that when you trust in the Lord and do good, you begin to shikan, settle down. <sighs> and then the best thing of all is found in 1 Peter 3.13. Peter writes this, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? So there's protection when we do good. I mean, those are benefits that come when we're willing to do good for people. Like when you walk out today and you do good for somebody, God is protecting you. When, um, Wendy and I went to Rio. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We went to Rio on a mission trip. Before we ever went, her mom went. Her mom went with a medical mission team, and she came back and she told us the story. She was like, listen, the weirdest thing happened. We're serving this really poor favela. That's a, the Portuguese word for slum. We're serving this really poor favela, and we're doing medical missions. And the whole time we're doing it, like you just, you're doing the medical stuff, and you look outside, and you see people walking around on the street, and a lot of people are walking around with semi-automatic weapons. That's fun, right? And she was like, it's a little freaky, you're trying to serve somebody, but, like, you see behind them this dude with a gun. And so the team started to get a little bit freaked out about that. And then one of the leaders of the, of the drug lords, that's who they were, they came over and they said, listen, nobody's going to mess with you while you're here serving our people. That's what that verse in Peter is talking about. You serve people. And God will bring every protective force of heaven. No one's going to harm you while you're serving my people. I've got you. Oh, no, but Paul, didn't people, like, get killed doing good? Uh, well, sure, but where did they end up? And they're dwelling, right, <laughs> with safe pastures forever with Jesus. He protects us while we do good. So what, what could this look like? I've got a video, if you guys will go ahead and kind of get that ready. I've got a video I want to show you, and then um, I, think, I think as you watch it, it'll become really clear the power that we have when we do good. And then I'll come back when it's over, and we'll wrap this up. Powerful. There's power in doing good. And, and I don't want to, I'm not going to minimize that at all. But we have a much greater reason to do good. It's for the gospel. Okay, let's let's land um, let's land this series and this message back in Titus two fourteen. Can we put that up there? Do we have that? 
Um, Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us. Let's talk about that word redeem. Now, we, we talked about redemption uh, in a couple series back. There's a, a lot of different flavors to that word. This Greek word for redeem means that he paid for us so that he could do something with us. Okay? Sometimes we, we buy stuff and put it away and never use it, right? But this says he paid for us because he wants to do something with us. So here's my translation. He paid for us because he has a place for us. He wants to display you. He purchased us because he has a place for us. And when we find the place and we do good in that place, we point people to his grace. Now, you're all going to go eat lunch somewhere today, right? And I don't think you have a $12,000 tip ready to go. But let me encourage you with this really simple illustration that happened last night. So, you know, uh, Parker and Sydney, I know Sam and, and Katie, I don't think I've missed anybody. They're from our church. They're in Mary Poppins. And, um, hey, guys, how, 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 much, how much time does that take? <sighs> A ton. So sometimes you can start to think, um, God, like, here's one more thing I have to do. Now, like, I'm doing all this stuff, and now Paul's saying I have to do good. And I want you to get this. He paid for you because he has a place for you. And when you're in that place and you do good, you point to his grace. Last night at the end of, at the, end of the production, we're just kind of, you know, hanging around talking, you know, and they're all getting their makeup off, that kind of stuff. We're, we're in, in the ag center and cutting up. And one of the friends turns to me. I mean, I don't even know how old she is, like whatever, 14, 15. And here's, here's all she says. She turns to me, and she's out of the blue, totally random. We're talking about, like, makeup and Mary Poppins. And she just went, you got great kids. And I said, they, they take after their mom, right? Of course, they're great kids. And that's all she said. Let me tell you why she said it. Because our kids are doing good in the place where they are. Now, they're at the, they live at the Ag Center right now right? Because it's like they're doing the show. But do good where you are. Do good for everyone. And everyone is way, it's way too, you're like, I can't do good for everyone. So let's just cut that word in half, right? Do good for everyone. And if you'll do good for everyone that you meet, God will use the rest of the church to do good for every one that they meet. And soon we've done good for everyone. That's the way it works. He has redeemed us, bought us, to put us in places where we can be eager to do what is good. You may not have a $12,000 tip. But you're going to be in places today and tomorrow and the next day. And you're going to meet people who need to see you do good. And when they ask you why, you're going to be able to say this. Our good just points to God's grace. And apart from His grace, I wouldn't be here doing this. The part of the story that you didn't see is that her husband passed away weeks after that was recorded from cancer. And there's people that went to all that trouble to ease her pain on earth. And we can go to great lengths and do good to change eternal destinies. 
You want signs of life? Simply do good. And if you'll just do good, people will ask you why. Because you're the sign. You're the sign of life. And when people watch your life and they see how you have changed, they'll ask you why. And you get to be the one that points them to Jesus. Our good points to God's grace.